Welcome to the More Life Podcast, where creative problem solvers and entrepreneurs talk about squeezing more out and finding meaning in this crazy thing we call life. Let's dive in. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the More Life Podcast. I'm your host, Bart Aniston. This week, we do have a special guest in the building. If you're listening to this, this is season four. You've made it all of the way. James Adam is the uh, CEO, founder of Visual Media Church. Did I say that correctly? You did. Awesome. Uh, Locally right now, might be moving later. We'll talk about that a little bit later. James, say what up to everybody, man. What's up, everybody? Uh, Yeah, I'm James Adams. I am the president slash founder of Visual Media Church. I find it always a little uh, weird, like when you give yourself a title, president, CEO, (laughs) champion, ruler of them all. And, you know, a company of like five or six people. <laughs> just, it sounds right. so grandiose. But <laughs> there's no other way. There's no other way to describe it. Um, yeah. Somebody has to be in charge. I know that to be the case. Yes. Like 100%. Give people a bit of a glimpse um, of what it is uh, um, your company does and exactly like maybe a bit of insight. And then we'll dive a little bit deeper about all the other stuff. But it might be good to start there. Visual Media Church makes cinematic church media. That is our line. That is our driving force. That is our mission statement. So the idea being that you we want to make church media more cinematic. When I got started doing this, there was just a lot of really dated looking stuff and not a lot of people pushing to bring quality in church media to what goes on like in the secular world. Like when you go to the movies, you go see a Marvel movie or a star, you see this amazing technology and 3d graphics at work. And I found like the church world was lacking. And so our primary thing that most people come to us for is worship backgrounds. What really defines us in worship backgrounds is we really were the first to kind of go all in with doing um, work like nature based outdoor landscape Mm. worship backgrounds there's a few people doing it i mean there was only a couple big churches at the time that were even kind of dabbling in it um but no one in um amongst let's call my peers were making it really really well and leaning into it and like putting the effort into it and so that was kind of the niche that we got carved out was like wow they if you want nature backgrounds if you want mountains and time lapses and slow motion waterfalls visual media church is the place to go and we still are the place to go but since then we've branched out to kind of encompass more than just worship backgrounds but really all church media in one kind of centralized hub um one single membership to kind of get access to basically everything you would need as far as media content goes that's really really cool for those that don't know because it is somewhat of a niche demographic um Church media specifically has come a long way. So uh, I think I've mentioned this a few times in the podcast. I used to work in a church for about 10 years or multiple churches for over the course of 10 years. And I got my start working in church media. Now, church media in 2012 was very different than what it is today. And we didn't have resources and tools like what you are doing now, James, is kind of like a pipe dream. That would be like, oh, my gosh, could you imagine we'd actually have the resources and the know-how and and abilities to produce 
have or even purchase this type of content that can be produced. So in many ways, church media um, graphics have catapulted over the last decade, I would even say 15 years specifically, um, in terms of the production quality. Long gone are the days, if you're picturing like a church, like with like maybe a choir robe and stuff like that, and maybe a pamphlet or a bulletin as it's called in church. Long gone are the days of like really bad clip art, poorly folded, you know, flyers, and all these different things where, where it's like a Google image that was put on, um, printed on 300 DPI, so it's all pixelated and all that kind of stuff. Church, you have to think of church now also in terms of the production value that you present because you're competing with so many different um, other pieces of media or, or distractions or even like things to do, right? You are not competing just with, hey, should I go to church this weekend? It's like, hey, the Blue Jays are playing, hey, or the Raptors are playing, or I can go see a movie, I can go see a show, and we're kind of used to this level of stimulus um, in our brains. And so church media has catapulted to kind of be like, hey, we're going to engage you as well, not just spiritually, but also, you know, mentally and with your eyes, um, what you see to make it interesting and just tell a story. Um, so I wanted to kind of give a bit of a preface yep. to that whole to that whole industry, because it's such a unique industry. And I've I've literally seen it grown from nothing to like huge and even now james i don't know you you know more than i do there's still not that many players in what you're doing in terms of church cinema cinema cinegraphic uh uh media type stuff how many big players would there be like your size or bigger i would say total worldwide on the same level there'd be five to eight of us that's what i'm um, saying <laughs> which is really small and i mean people don't get into the church media because it's so niche unless you go to church right like yeah. a person who doesn't go to church would never think to or have the cultural understanding on how to enter into that market right and yeah mm -hmm. like, like you're saying like church media has grown so much to the point where like i get asked all the time by even non-christian friends like oh there's like a market for that and what i tell them is some of these churches and like even smaller churches are doing production on the level of what you would see at the Air Canada Center, like oh, yeah. for a big Taylor Swift concert, like the same people that put on those concerts work at churches and put on the media side of things. Like there are church conferences that rent out the Mercedes Dome for an entire weekend in New Orleans. And the, and the quality of work around what is the core message by these professionals is on like it's it's the top of the top in the United States 100%. of Canada of quality. And so even smaller churches, like I go to a larger church here in outside of Toronto and the production quality is fantastic from their understanding around uh, media and music and imagery and lighting. Like it's, it's people who all actually do it professionally out in the real world and they bring that knowledge. Some of them actually paid and some of them contract or volunteer into the church world. So it's not a, it's not a joke. It's not a small matter. Like it is like, it is production on like the nth degree. Like it's quality, yeah. quality stuff. And oh, like, yeah. so what I say to people, like, they're like, Oh, how did your stuff end up with like uh, secular artists? Like, um, like, uh, what's her name? Tori, Tori Kelly was using oh, some yeah. visual media church stuff. It's because one of our members works for a big church out in California, but he's also a sound guy for her tour. And so he brought our visual media church stuff to a Tori Kelly, uh, to her concerts. Right. So like, it's really cool. Like it's, it is really big, um, because these, these churches, 
Whereas concerts and like maybe conferences go like month to month or every few months, mm. churches are doing it week in, week out, some of them five, six times a week. And yeah. so, yeah, these people are the really talented and we, and we provide basically what we're, our goal is always just to save those people time and energy instead of having to hire a contractor to go out and film this stuff, like to hire a contractor, a cinematographer to fly to Iceland, shoot you some nice slow-mo waterfalls and come back is going to cost you 10 to $15,000 and you get access to visual media church with all that content for $200 a year. So it's, it's a no brainer on the content side. Yeah. Um, the, the, there's so many like applications. If you're working inside of a church nowadays, again, a lot of our audience might not know, but a lot of some of you might understand, like, there are things that happen during the week and there are services that happen in the weekend and all this stuff is now hyper produced where it needs to like look good, feel good, be mobile friendly, be on a website, be in person. All these different instances or variations of the same thing. You know, I remember the first time I was working at a larger church in Toronto in Scarborough and, you know, we had the idea of like, hey, we can do like a uh, LED wall. And this is at this point now, like five, six years ago. And, you know, they said, yes, the budget was approved for us to get it. And we got a, I believe it was a 28 foot by 10 foot LED wall. And I didn't even know what an LED wall was. I was used to like a projector screen. Um, I was new to this church working there. So when I saw this thing come in and how many like flight cases had to be unpacked from a truck and then be set up and rigged, I couldn't believe it. Like we had to run the entire, it was, this was for Easter. We had like seven um, services and we had to run the, because there were so many panels um, in a, this large auditorium, we had to run the, uh, uh, the panels at 5% brightness because it was so bright. So of course what we do as soon as church is like over, we got the, uh, uh, the latest James Bond trailer <laughs> and we watched that on there. Like we put, turned the brightness to a hundred and like fry your retina just for a little bit. And we sit in the back of the auditorium, this ginormous room. And it's like better than a movie, but it was like cutting edge technology just to kind of see that type of stuff done in church. Even I was impressed and I had been in the industry, you know, working in, in church marketing and church media. I wanted to ask you like where, cause we know each other only on the internet. We've never actually met. So where did you start? Did, were you like a tech person, production person, film person like i'm assuming you know you start as a volunteer that's how everyone starts in the church (laughs) they rope you in somehow and then somehow you maybe you bring skills talents education all that type of stuff so i got into the church media game really late like basically just before i started vision media church so vision media church is about to turn five years um in June, it's going to turn five years old. So really my background though, was I went to school out in the prairies and I ended up working originally for a hockey team. I worked for the Manitoba Moose, which then became the Winnipeg Jets. So I was their video in-house video graphics, um, go down to the locker room, interplay, interview the players, do all the green screen filming, you know, preseason and do all those cheesy graphics, you know, when the players are answering questions and all that (laughs) kind of stuff. Um, and so, That got me into the world of media um, to start because I had just gone to a two-year diploma program. Um, So I did that. And then I worked for a fashion guy for a few years doing video for him, doing stuff on his personal side, and then doing more like the model shoots and all that kind of stuff, basically around the world. 
Um, and then when I moved back to Toronto, I just started volunteering with my church and then ended up doing some contract gigs for them. And my church was really open to like um, doing video, like cinematic video uh, intros. There was myself mm. and another guy who were doing them at the time. He was just kind of um, offloading from being full-time and going to contract. So they, we were both kind of doing contract projects. He went on to be a YouTuber. He's got a million plus followers. And I started VMC at the same time that he started going to YouTube. And so that got me into the church world. And then what ended up happening was I was sitting in a creative meeting um, and they were talking about like our Easter plans. Like what, what's the theme going to be? We'd like to make a cool video. And we ended up like landing on this smoke idea, like having this guy walk through like, you know, smoke bombs in slow motion with this epic music. Right. Okay. And, so we're, <laughs> and, so, and so we're filming that. And then what ended up happening was a guy who was kind of helping out on the side ended up saying, hey, I kind of do worship media. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but would you be able to like with your slow-mo camera be able to like make me like worship backgrounds in slow-mo and smoke. And so I ended up filming this pack for what is now my biggest competitor. And so afterwards, <laughs> I, yeah, afterwards. And so like, it was great. And it was his most successful piece ever. Like he was blown away by the response. It was in churches around the world. It was being used all over the place. So I ended up having this meeting with the guy and just said to him, Hey, I got this idea. Like I noticed that all your stuff is just like motion graphics and stuff like that. No one is doing what I'm seeing on like Instagram these days, which is like epic, like Iceland waterfall, slow-mo, yes. all this kind of stuff. Like I would love to work for you. Like I'm looking for a job to get out what I'm doing. At the time I was doing contract for the church and then I was working at Ryerson University as a media guy there as well. Yes. And so I basically approached him with this idea of like, hey, hire me and let's like bring nature backgrounds to churches. And the, the, the short of it was basically he didn't believe in the idea. He was just kind of like, no, nah, I don't think people are ready for blah, blah. And so I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to do it then. So I launched out on my own to do it. Um, the origin story that I always tell people, which is 100% true, is I'd been married for, I think, 10 months, nine months at the time. And I convinced my wife to let me spend our vacation money to go to Iceland by <laughs> myself. Um, I didn't have enough money to like rent, um, like to stay in hotels. So I rented a Suzuki Grand Vitara and then I brought a tent with me and I slept in the car <laughs> slash mixed with tent. And then I was there for seven days and I just filmed Was like your wife with hours. you or no? No, I left her. I spent the money to do this business idea. <laughs> She was like, she like really reluctantly let me do it. Cause she's like, okay, fine. She will even tell you to this day. She's like, I thought it was the dumbest idea. You were just like, like, it was just, it was this, just this dumb idea. And so I just spent seven days filming like crazy. And then I came home, I made the website and I launched the company to, to nobody. Cause no one knew who I was or what I was doing. <laughs> and that's how I started it. And it started to pick up steam. And like, that's how that, that's the origin story. It was like, I risked whatever money we had, which was supposed to go to Mexico. Um, and I spent it to go to Iceland without her. Yeah, but like, I really did Mexico. believe it. I'm like, <laughs> this is an opportunity. No one's doing this. There's a gap in the market. It was all yeah. the kind of classic things you hear from a founder. Like I have, I have a unique advantage in that. Like I come from a film and media background. Um, I know how to build web. I know how to get the servers up and running. I can do all that on my own, so I don't need to pay for it. So it was this bootstrapped, small little thing um, that I just needed to invest the time to get the content to kind of get it going. And so that's how it all started. It happened within like three or four months, me just being like, I'm going to do it. Wow. Still, still doing my full-time job, by the way. 
Um, yeah, that's like the I grind. Asked my, yeah, I asked my full-time job. I said, listen, I got this thing. Uh, can I just take a week off? And luckily, the people who I worked for at Ryerson were amazing. And they gave me a lot of freedom to kind of do this kind of stuff when I oh, first started. Man. You don't even know it, but you're filling in a lot of the gaps of a story I didn't know I knew. In the sense, like, <laughs> the video you're talking about with the smoke. Yeah. So, I didn't know this. I didn't know that that was you. I knew the other person you were filming with, uh, or at okay, least I yeah. knew... At least that was the name that I yeah. brought to my art director and said, look what they're doing. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. How, like, we need to up the level to X, Y, and Z. And I'm not the um, media pastor or anything like that at the church. I was just the communications director. So we were doing a lot of planning. Yeah. But I said, this is the inspiration. This is this is what's up. So I think we might have messaged uh, um, Maddie and said yeah. something and just, you know, I think, he probably never saw it because there was no way to get um, the information. It was on Vimeo. I think it, it was, was on Vimeo. Vimeo. Yeah. yeah. So we probably messaged him on Vimeo or something like that. Never heard back type yeah, of thing. Yeah. And I know who you're talking about, the other person. Because, yeah. again, it's such a small community. And even yeah. though I wasn't specifically in that industry, I was like that. I was in the media adjacent industry at this point and no longer doing church media, but doing communications. But you know the people, especially in Canada, there's not that many people. So you just see like, oh, this is how all of this is coming together. And I never knew that you took, like you just said, hey, I really believe that there's not enough actual landscape nature um, uh, uh, imagery out there. And I'm just going to go and start filming it. Like, so you took the money and you went overseas to Iceland yep. and Iceland. did you have a camera? Yeah, I had my own camera and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Like I, I, like I, because I'd come from the media world and was doing you contracting on the side, I had the gear, um, <laughs> but I'd always kind of held back from like doing my own business because I'd always believe, Oh, I didn't go to school for business. You can't run a business. And what happened was mm. I started listening to a few podcasts that really like got me inspired to be like, no, like you don't need to be, having gone to four years of university to start a business. Like you just need to do this, especially if you are an expert in a certain area that you know is the market. Right. And I knew that one, I've grown up in the church my entire life. So I mm -hmm. know what kind of works culturally. Um, I know how to produce content um, at a high standard, but then also make it affordable. Like I understand how to build a budget. Right. So like me going to Iceland, I think I had 2,500 bucks all in for the entire thing. That's flights, food, car, everything. And I spent every last cent of it, but I didn't have money to go over. And that's why like, I literally slept in the car a few nights, like with my sleeping bag. Cause it was too cold. It was like minus 10. I was up in the highlands oh of Iceland. I'm in my winter sleeping bag in the back of the car. Um, and then I'd stop at gas stations when I ate breakfast to charge the batteries for my camera. Cause in the car, you can't really nope. pull a lot of charge for a bigger camera. Right. So this is like, but this is like the world that I love. Like it's like, it's like roughing it, but like, you know, that you're producing something of such high quality, but you're not spending yeah. a lot. And me seeing what my competitors were doing, which are just big, more big, like bigger organizations. I was able to kind of just run around like a chicken with my cut, my head cut off yeah. and make all these quick moves and adapt really fast, especially in the early days. And that's what kind of really got the thing going is one. And like, truth be told, like my own church, when I came back with the footage, my own church, like the guys who were running the, the screens at the time said, no, we're not going to use your stuff. It's not like the right feel for our church. Like it was still feeling very early. And yeah. after the first year, like I still know the church, the first, my first customer that signed up. And so like, 
it's it's wild to think of, but like it took yeah three months for me to get my first customer, and then once that ball ball got rolling, I kind of figured out what people wanted, and we kept on upping the quality and upping yeah. the time and money we spent on everything, and yeah. so. Yeah, that's how it kind of got started. So yeah, like, and as you're saying, like, this is like, it's funny, but the three of those eight players that I told you about all live on the east, the north, and the west of the GTA. So, yeah. like, so it's, it's just funny that this city worldwide, I would say, has three of the eight, and then the other five are US-based. Um, yeah. But then the three of us are all in, like, the GTA, which is just, it's mind-blowing, right? That's so concentrated. Yeah, so concentrated and notoriously Canadians are just late and Canadian churches are even more late to any party that's happening. 100%. So, so it's like you you have three of the eight of these people out of in the entire world who's really have it at this type of level. And most churches probably have never even heard about you. Like Correct. here, I'm sure a lot of your market is in America. So... 95% of this market exists in the U.S. Yeah. The U.S. as a culture are have more churches per capita, especially when we're talking about the, you know, the Carolinas and then the South, like yes. into Texas, like everyone goes to church down there. Like it's, it's more of a cultural thing, even if they were, if they're not necessarily Christians per se, it's culturally built into the fabric, um, which is why you see every president who ever comes along goes to attend a service down there, even regardless if they are part of the religion. Feel they, they would still go down go to there, church. right? And the so the the biggest advantage, and this is something for all creatives to know, especially as Canadians, is um, when working with the U.S., especially with digital only products, we have a massive advantage over our American neighbors to the south because one, you don't pay sales tax on digital only goods. So that's huge. And then you have, I mean, it's getting a little bit worse now, but you have a dollar advantage for every dollar you make in the States. It turns into, when I got started, it turned into a dollar 30. So that's a 30 cent advantage over your American counterparts, right? You, Mm -hmm. you get to profitability way faster for every American dollar that you make. And so that's why you you see this charge everything in Canadian dollars. No U S dollars. Because before the market advantage, right? Like you want to have that market advantage. You also want to make sure that when you, if you know your customer base is going to be in the U.S., exactly. you want to make sure that you're charging them in their native currency so that they aren't being like, why is there a currency exchange on my credit card? You'd rather explain that to your small major, your small minority of customers rather than to your majority, right? No, that makes perfect sense. And there's so many churches who are looking for that type of content I feel like a lot of times when you hear about businesses that are geared for churches in the tech um, world or media world, it's usually in American dollars. That's just like the standard for like, especially for digital products. It's what people just expect USD. Like, like especially when you think of all that is in, uh, involved of like getting all your assets and organized and all that kind of stuff. Like there's so many, this can get out of hand very fast, but it seems like you put kind of a lid on it. And like, okay, I know my budget really well. And I know what I'm going to need to do to keep producing these assets. Now here's the inherent business flaw in this model, which I know you've, you've overcome already, but let's talk about it in terms of 
you can only go so many places and you can only afford to go so many places to get so many types of content. So how do you multiply yourself and go to like every country in the world and get the rainforest and the waterfall and the glaciers and the mountaintops? How did, how did you, how did you like succumb that big obstacle of like, well, 2,500 got me one location. We got a lot more places and ideas to go to. How do we do it? Well, honestly, it has been me the whole time and uh, it's the economies of scale, right? Like it's at the start, I couldn't afford to do that. Um, I could afford to do that as much as I really wanted to now, if there wasn't a global pandemic happening. So once, <laughs> once like charging what I charge, so it's, it's $200 us per customer, which is not a lot. So for people no. that are like graphic designers that are listening to you or videographers, or just anyone that does contract creative work, this is, this is one of the hardest things to do when you build a business like this. That's a SaaS business. That's a reoccurring revenue model is you have to eat um, your profits, you have to say goodbye to them for the first bit. And that's the hardest yeah. thing when I talk to creators who are like, yeah, I want to build a business. I want to build a subscription business. And I have to say to them, like, then you have to get off that contract high and low, the ups and downs, and be prepared to just not make a lot of money at the start because this is a long tail game. This is a hmm. work hard, a lot up front, get nothing for it, uh, eat a lot of macaroni. But then when the flywheel gets going, when it starts ramping up into the right, is when you, when you in hat when it's so much it's better. Exponential. Than it's exponential. You're no longer dealing with having to fight hard and hustle for that next contract, for that next three three k gig, the next ten k gig, um, and building a budget for each time you're doing that. Right, like once you get off that cycle, it is huge. And it took it took VMC probably a year and a half, two years to get off that cycle. Like it wasn't making a ton of money, but if you keep things really affordable and are really strong as a, uh, on the business side, then you're set up for success to the point where like what VMC does today, I would never ever in a million years have been able to do building a contract business, even with employees. Like there's just too much up and down, right? Like, especially when you yeah. see what happened to a lot of contract businesses during the pandemic, we rode through that wave. Like it was nothing. Right. I was I was fearful at first, but I remember saying to my to my wife, like, I'm glad I'm not doing video contracting anymore, because obviously that would have dried up. And I think what I've done and what even my competitors have done is the future for creatives is to mm -hmm. learning how to monetize um monetize your skill and the product you create rather than just your time. And that's mm. most creators are just always taught like, here's your hourly, here's your daily wage. Here's what you should charge. And then as you, as you evolve and get smarter, you learn to charge per project and you try to kind of gauge yeah. the client. Even that is starting to get outdated because every person that lives that world has had feast and famine where you're just like, I'm doing great. This is going to be an awesome year. And then March, 2020 hits you and you're like, Oh no! <laughs> like never mind. <laughs> yeah. And so I, ha I had a very yeah. similar story that I, I I've said you know like I had the biggest contract I ever had to date at that time was March and I just like you, normally I don't tell my wife of a deal unless it's like for sure you know because she might yeah, get more smart. emotionally yeah, yeah more more emotionally attached to the idea of like wow you're going to be working for this person or doing this type of project so yep. i let it slip i was like hey we're about to sign this deal it's going to be worth about 20k <laughs> it's going to be really good for the business and yep. uh they they just hadn't signed 
And then everything got shut down, at least in Canada. And they say, hey, we're just going to hold off. And I'm just like, oh, we yeah, were right you know there. Yeah. 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 Reprioritize re- is what they rated me. We're, like, we're going to see if we can yep. afford not to do this. And if, unless we yeah. actually have to, then we'll move with that. But it's true. There's yep. so many um, waves inside of a business like this. And, you know, uh, you can find yourself where you're you're now under a lot of pressure but what i'm understanding about you james is like you're you're really good at seeing the bigger picture like you saw what nobody saw and you saw it so clearly that you were you were able to convince your wife to give you your honeymoon money like your travel money to go and do it but i think if you're um the person in charge like we talked about titles at the beginning of this right like you're the president the president is the buck stops at you but also you need to kind of carry this this founder vision this where we're going to be in six months where we're going to be in five years and there's something to be said in, in terms of like the longevity of your business and how you guys have continued to grow you know um you said you guys are at five people now um working in the business um and how how do you find hiring? How do you get the right people? Like, you know, I've I feel like in the last maybe eight months I've been in that zone where I'm like finding the right person who fits, having the right systems in place is key. It's almost more important than what you're actually doing and what you're actually selling. You know, you need to have the right people around you and have the right systems to get the job done over and over again. How do you guys overcome that? It's really hard and it's absolutely an adjustment. Like I have three full-time people that work for me and then mm-hmm. six contractors. So it's this, I, I, I try not to say, oh, there's 10 people because the contractors aren't full-time, but yeah. that's kind of the team who I'm in, communica- in communication with every single day. And yeah, it's really hard like because no one really trains you, especially as a creative, me working inside of some bigger businesses. I never got to sit in on hiring. I never got to sit on that part. If there was someone that was hiring for either my boss or a peer, they would maybe tell me the last minute, hey, we've hired someone, right? Like the management. So (laughs) that was something that I've really had to learn. Um, And I've even made some mistakes. Like the first person I hired, I had to let go because it ended up being not the right fit for that person as far as their stage of life and what they're prepared to do Mm. and like work inside of a startup. And so it's been a lot of kind of like falling on your face. But now the three people that I have working for me full time are fantastic. And because I had to just learn how to ask one, the right questions to come up with the kind of philosophy on like what what kind of people you want to work with like are you are you trying to build a family are you trying to build a sports team where it's just the best only um uh what kind of information are you going to set as far as expectations right off the start so what i learned from that first mistake is when i was hiring before i was hiring i set the expectations really high as far as um when you show up to work, what I'm expecting as far as quality of work, what you're going to hear from me if I find a mistake, like saying like, I'm going to be direct, right? Like setting that expectation right off the hop, but then also learning to really value those people. And if they're going to go on the ride with you, then reward them for being on that on that ride with you as well. And, you know, it's not just that these people are expendable. And so I've kind of always taken a bit of a hybrid approach where we're not a family even though I have a family member working for me, but, (laughs) but, uh, but I'm also like, I demand good quality and we've had things that have happened 
on our site where mistakes have happened, where it's kind of like you have to bring the hammer down sometimes because mm. I, for our customers, I demand better. I demand that of myself. When I make mistakes, I do my best to just get out and own it and learn from it. And so then yeah. I also set that expectation for my employees. So yeah, it's really hard, especially in today's world where everyone is working in some way, shape or form remote where we're not in the same room always. Now it's really, really hard. Um, obviously you just have to do a lot of work. It's a lot of diligence. It's a lot of doing zoom calls when, when I've hired people now, um, I hired a few people recently, contractors, and it, it took multiple Zoom calls for me to get the yeah. feel of people, right? Like, you have to find out if you're going to connect. Um, how much do they know about you? How much research did they bring into what you're hiring for? All that really, really matters. And so that's that's one area that I know that I'm still maybe like a 5 out of 10. Like, I'm still learning how to do that yeah, better. Yeah, same, same. Do you consider yourself a startup still? Yes, because I love startup culture. Like, I... like. When I started VMC, I had I had wanted to do something for five years, but I knew I didn't mm -hmm. have the idea to invest in, which is why I convinced my wife to spend the money. Because I had been listening to these startup podcasts for years and just like like getting so excited by everything I heard, right? And like the idea of startup land and Silicon Valley was always yeah. something that just was fascinating to me. Like I love every moment of it. I probably consume right now while I'm working probably 15 to 20 hours a week of startup related podcasting because that's what keeps me inspired it pushes me like to hear Whoa. to hear people um I, I consider myself like i'm like i'm like in the g league right and it's and it's awesome to look at the people like the lebron james of the world in the 100%. nba just doing it way better than i know i can ever be but it inspires me to push higher and so when i listen to what some of these companies are doing and i've never wanted to raise money or anything like that but hearing like their drive and they're willing to adapt and like face hard realities and pivot. Those are all things that we've done here at VMC. And so I never want to lose the startup mentality because the startup mentality, especially as a small business, like what we would be considered in that world. Um, if you, if you start kind of coasting is when you run into problems, right? Yeah. And I, I would say some of my competitors coasted for a while and which allowed mm -hmm. us to gain market share is because we were hustling and like adapting and pushing the envelope. Like we were the first person people to do 4k and then 6k. And then, right. you know, I, I bought a, a DJI inspired drone so that we could just do awesome, like constantly doing something that no one else is doing. And that only happens when you have a startup mentality, when you have a, mm. if we don't pay the bills next month, you know, we're getting locked out. It was never like that, but you have to remain with that mentality to constantly push and strive to be better. And I don't, yeah. I don't ever want to stop that. So I will always tell people, yeah, we're a startup. We're a startup because we're never going to take investment. Um, and I don't know what the future of the business is, but I know that for me, when I'm in startup mode is when I'm working my hardest. And that's mm -hmm. a good thing because I love this. This, is, this isn't work for me. This is passion. So like, I always tell people, like, I, I work, my jobs I had before, I worked 60 to 80 hours a week. Um, I don't do that for this anymore because I have three little kids now. But when I do have time, like I'm all in. Like I love this. Like it is not, it is not draining for me, right? Like I'm an extrovert and an introvert. Um, and so the introvert side of me is the artist that creates the content, and the extrovert is yes. the guy you're talking to right now, building the business. And so 
this is not draining for me. This is like, this is, it's energizes, right? So like, I'm all about it. So many people, they, they, they only like think of themselves as artists and they think of themselves as a creative or, or a creator. Um, and, you know, I think a very unique aspect is when you take the artistry and you apply it to certain business practices, you know, and you say, okay, so like, like yourself, we're very similar this way where I'm introvert and extrovert. I'm obsessed with business marketing and how to run a business and all these different things because I see that that's the differentiator. You can be super skilled. You can be an amazing sculptor. You can be a great painter. You can be the best car salesman or whatever. But if you don't have the business acumen to grow whatever idea you have into something else, you'll only reach a certain point. You know, you have the person you have to become to become successful. It's way more important than actually the thing you're doing to become successful. And, and you, I think, you I think ahead. that is something that you can learn and grow into as an artist. Like, so I'll speak to what you just said too. Like, I started more on the artist side because I didn't believe in, my, in myself because I had this false narrative that I needed to go to school to become a business person. But the truth be told is over the past five years, the more that I engage this business side of things, the more I realize I actually enjoy the business side more than mm-hmm. the artistry side now. And like you just said, I've told this to every person I've ever talked to is if you're going to be successful, you have to learn to run the business and be just as good because yes, there are artists out there who make a great living from just being artists and let someone else handle it. But that is the 1% of the 1%. Yes. Those people can get by on talent alone. The For the rest of us, I don't know about you, but I count myself <laughs> in the 99%. For the rest of us, you have to be great at your craft and you have to run a smart business as well to be successful. And if you're not doing that, is you are probably that person that's stuck at a job right now that kind of does what you want to do and you have no idea how to get out because you're just doing the one side and you're allowing someone else to run the business side of things, whether it's at a big company. And we all know it to be true is that if you're on the artistry side, the doors close. And if you're on the business side, the doors open. And That's so, facts. and that is just facts. You're not going to be in those meetings. You're not going to, the, there is a ceiling and it's really short, like for the yeah. artist, the artist stays. There's very few places to go up unless you are at a, a big graphic studio. And those are far, few and far between. Only if you want to get those. Up, so that's, that's either out of business or if you're running your own business, mm-hmm. I see plenty of people who do freelance, who pull, you know, under the national average for salary, well under the national average for salary, and they are talented. It's because they don't know how to hustle. They don't know how to conserve their finances. They don't know how to save. They don't know how to invest their time and energy into the right things. They buy all the brand new gear, but have no clients to use them on. It's things like that, right? And so like you were saying, yeah, it's once you engage that business side and you learn how to build yourself a spreadsheet and come up with an action plan, is when you yeah. when you actually allow your creative work to then reach more people. And so that is the yeah. biggest challenge, I think, for people that has been brought on by the pandemic actually has accelerated this is you 100%. need to figure out how to build your own website. You Like you should be learning those things and start learning the business side of things, right? Like don't yeah. be afraid. Don't be ashamed to say that you're, you're a newbie. Um, get start, start down that road on how to learn that because that will just save you time, money, energy, headaches, 
it sets you up for the future. And what really drove it for me was, I remember saying to my wife, like, what do I want to be when I'm 60? Like, do I want to be the guy that's just contract video guy at the church when there's 17 year olds running around with new gear and I'm the old guy who like never did anything and just kind of does the same thing over and over? Or do I want to be the guy who's hiring those young guys to work for me and then passing the mantle onto them? And that's where I'm headed as opposed to being that old guy who just works at the same job for 30 years and really his skills stopped 20 years ago, right? Because we've all seen right. those people. 100%. So yeah, push yourself. I, I, uh, I used to be so proud to say that I was a designer. I went to, to a design course, design school at Humber College, all that kind of stuff. And I was so proud of it. And, and I had somebody ask me literally like two days ago, uh, I was confirming what they do. I said, are you a designer? Or she's like, no, I'm a brand specialist. But she says, but you're a designer, like a real designer. I said, I don't tell people that anymore. I said, I'm, I'm a business owner. I'm a manager. I don't do the artistry the same way that I do, uh, um, that I, like, like I do now, right? Like, it's just different. When I was younger, and this was more like a freelance, and I didn't know the difference between freelance and business, I, I was just the guy. I, I did some, you know, tax papers and I did the design stuff and I kind of just made it work. And the more, you know, our agency started to grow and the clientele started to grow and there was more onboarding processes and different things that had to be taken care of to manage. Okay, so we hire an, a junior designer. Okay, so we'll hire a project manager. So am I the... I'm the I'm like I'm the art director. I, I'll cast vision. I'll help steer the ship. But I'm no longer like the designer. And I think that in, in the type of work that I do, that's more necessary. In the sense, like we we still are a contract based business where we're constantly drumming up new business. We have some recurring stuff. We have some digital products, but most of our stuff is contract stuff. And so there's a lot of closing deals, getting paperwork having a few meetings with bookkeepers and project managers that just have to be maintained underneath my purview. And I don't know if, I feel like we're very alike. So I don't know if this is like you too, but uh, I also am like a serial entrepreneur where there's multiple ideas at different stages. So we're, we're getting the agency is kind of on this trajectory right now. We're really happy with it. So finally, I've been sitting on this next idea that we've been, okay, let's kind of bring this one out and kind of start to format it and kind of get all these things shaped up together. So I can't be the person who's going to design your logo, but I can be the person who can give the direction and get you the thing that you want. And I think the higher up you get in this game, especially in my world and marketing and branding and stuff like that and web design, executives, people who are at the top, who I speak with, um, they only care about the transformation. They don't care that you actually built the logo or that you actually coded their website. They just want the end product. When you're speaking with somebody at that level of, of executiveness, they only care about the end result. And if you're going to produce something that's going to be stress-free and be able to assure them what you say, you, what you said you're going to do, you're going to do it on time and all those things. That's what matters more than the price. That's what matters more than them knowing that you are a designer. So I don't go around saying that I'm the designer, even though I love designs. My every once in a while, you know, somebody's sick. I got to fix something. I'm like, oh, I'm still kind of good at this. Yeah, I still got this. But yeah, like to your point, man, I don't want to be 50, 60, 70 years old, still needing to design logos to, 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 to retire and to put food on the table and all these different things. 
There is there once you start to activate that business side of your brain, you'll see the business and everything. So it's kind of like I had a friend who took me out on a bunch of um, filming projects. You probably know him, um, uh, Scott Trapazzo. We took him on a bunch of filming projects. We would film all these different places. He he taught me some of the things that he knew about creative work and about filming and about cameras. Once you know that information, you see it everywhere. Oh, that's how they do that shot, and they pull that for a commercial. Oh, I can see how they cheated that in that movie. I can see all these different things, but the same thing with that business side of your brain. Once you activate it, you'll be like, huh, that little idea that would just kind of flow past my head before, I can see how that can be a digital product. And I, it won't take me long to set that up and it could be on recurring and all that kind of stuff. And it could be digital and, and set it up in a couple of days on just a simple Shopify website. And you start to you start to see the world through a different type of lens and it opens the door to so many things. Because I feel like a lot of people have the idea that I'm going to do this business, I'm going to do it forever. And I think the moment you start to really start ramping and doing the work of um, entrepreneur or business or any type of idea, you'll start to get the itch for another idea. But if you don't have the business skills, it'll be hard for you to start to do all these other things. I don't know. Are you a little bit like that too, where you got different things in your brain all at the same time? Yeah, I've got to stop myself from starting something new all the time. And so what's actually changed over the past year for me is I've decided that I'll start investing my time and energy and resources into other entrepreneurs. So like invest and partner with another entrepreneur. So I had a, an entrepreneur come to me last uh, January, I'd say, with an adjacent idea to what I'm doing. And so I invest, I ended up investing in this startup. And now my role is more just as advisor. Um, we talk once a week and that's how I'm getting to play in those other sandboxes without totally distracting myself from what is my core business, right? And so... I found I, I had a couple leather ideas that I started playing around with. And what I learned was it was actually just sucking all my time. Mm-hmm. If I really wanted to make those ideas work, I had to dive into them like I did with Visual Media Church, which was okay, yes. I need to dive in for three months and just pour my time and energy. But I don't want to sacrifice this amazing thing that I've got going. I love what I'm doing with Visual Media Church. And so this was a way for me to start dabbling in those other things and planting seeds other in other spaces that I still get that fulfillment and I still get to have these kinds of conversations um, and I get to help another business grow. And then again, long tail, like I've put time, money, and energy into that business and have seen zero reward from it yet, but I know that three years down the line is when it starts paying me back, and I'm excited to be on that journey and watching this business grow steadily and surely. Like it's exciting to yeah. like be a and that person, the person I'm partnering with, he's leading it, but I'm just the partner in the background, right? Like the minority 100%. partner, and that is awesome. Beginning to be more of an investor advisor, and I want to do more of that because now I've, I've discovered like I love that. And this is like, that's what I listen to in podcasting is I listen to people, investors and seed investors talk. And like, I love that aspect of that's a major flex, by the way, too. Oh, it's awesome. I love it. Like, it makes me so excited. Like when that person messaged me, they were just looking for advice. And like, I got to like see like their deck and I got to see the, the their website build and the content they were making. And so the more we talked, the more I said to like, I ended up just saying to the guy, like, sounds like you are looking for like an investor and advisor. And he's like, oh, 100%, I think I am. I said, 
what about me? And he's like, oh, I was scared to ask you. So it's like, great, this is awesome. Let's let's talk then. Let's get let's get like let's get into the nitty gritty here. And so yes. that's where I get to kind of use that energy. But with Visual Media Church, we're constantly adding new content right now. We're yes. like stepping out and investing. Uh, a bunch more time and money that I've always held back from. We've kept everything internal. And now, like I said, you have hired these six graphic designers to work for me. And so we have, we're starting to like hit the content game harder than we've ever hit in areas that I, in that I, I'm not an expert. I'm not a Photoshop graphic designer, which is why I've hired six people to do it. And then we're also leaning in heavily into our Espanol, our Spanish friends in the South, because that's one of the yep. things we constantly get from churches, especially in Florida and Texas is, yep. do you have Spanish graphics? There's a huge Latino population down there. And so we're leaning in heavy into making graphics and content specifically for that community, which already kind of exists in our membership pool. We just mm-hmm. haven't been servicing that minority well. And so we were like, okay, well, no one else is doing this well right now. Let's, how do we do that? So like two of those graphic designers are bilingual speakers. Um, Two guys, a guy in Arizona, a guy in Maryland, and like I'm super pumped to like because they just have a That's different so design amazing. style. They are they are of Mexican descent. Like they're coming with like different, like fresh perspectives on I would never do the designs that they are doing. And so I'm starting to see like great diversity in our content. Like I'm loving it. So I'm super pumped. And that's all just started in the past three weeks. And so yeah. it's a big investment on our side, but it's also really cool to start seeing some unique content that I never would have created. Yeah. And and you mentioned something so good there, you know, understanding your core business also means you never are willing to sacrifice the main thing for something else. Like, you know what I mean? I feel like you could have another side project, but there's no way that, you know, like this, this show, this podcast can knock something off of the core business. Cause that's a, that's what I'm most passionate about. I love agency, um, the building of it, the running of it. I love the scrums, the agile, all of these sprints, all these the different things that just happen inside of an agency of how we all work together as a team and everything is all happening together. I can never sacrifice that for a podcast show or for marketing for the podcast. And that's where you always have to select that first. And it's a kind of like a state of mind where you're like, okay, I know what is most important to me and I'm willing to make sure that I protect that at all costs. You know, like I know uh, uh, we spoke briefly, you are, um, you live right now just outside the GTA in Toronto, but you're like planning on moving and stuff like that, right? Like you're you're also like doing the same thing, but in your personal life, I'm protecting the, the thing that I want the most. So I want to like, how is that working for you specifically? How's that working for the business, like, I know people are probably, I don't know if you used to have an office. Um, what does that mean for your staff? You know, are they doing, everyone's remote now? Are they all forced to move with you, like, in your basement? What's going on? Huge adjustment, man. So, like, basically, um, last September, we moved through, in the pandemic, we ended up getting what would be my dream office space. Like, any any designer out there, if you find me on social, you can you can see our the office space. It was fifteen foot ceilings, warehouse building, top floor, old elevator up, painted white brick walls, big giant picture windows all along the one wall. I had a, a filming studio set up in there. We all had office space. We had a living area, a little kitchen, the dream, a meeting room at the front, um, the dream. But what ended up happening was. Um, 
my parents ended up deciding they were going to move. So all my family's kind of in the same area. So my parents had said like, Hey, you know, your dad's getting closer to retirement. He's a pastor. And so he's going to take his last job. He's leaving the big giant church. He's accepted this position out in Nova Scotia. And now for years, like I'm very adventuresome. Um, as you know, someone who was willing to risk, you know, the wrath of his <laughs> wife by spending their vacation money. Um, and so for years, I've always said to my wife, like, I would love to like go live abroad. And she's always said, absolutely not. We have no family. Like I've said, I did a trip to New Zealand for VMC and I was like, I fell in love with New Zealand. I said, we should like with our kids, just go move there for a couple of years. But it doesn't make sense. Like we own a house here in Toronto. There's so many things tying us down. Uh, my dad's originally from Ireland. So I had suggested to her, like I get my British passport and let's go like live and work in Ireland for a couple of years. Again, she said, I would love it. We have no family. All of our friends are here. Doesn't make sense. And so then when my parents decided to move to Nova Scotia, I was like, wow, like Nova Scotia meets a lot of the things that we're looking for. Like get away from the big city. Um, we, in the housing market, we could afford a bigger house. Like there's just a lot of advantages, a slower pace of life. Um, but what really held me back is like, I've always been very vocal that like, I don't want my employees to work remote, remote stinks. It's horrible. Now through the pandemic, as you know, in the GTA, mm -hmm. we've gone through three lockdowns oh, and boy. those lockdowns all forced my guys to go work from home. And I had this big, beautiful office space that I was occupying. It was 1600 square feet and just me. And so the more I sat in there alone, the more I said, I'm paying, <laughs> I'm paying close to two grand a month. Uh, which is actually really affordable. Yeah, it's cheap. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know you're down cheap. in Etobicoke, that would get you a closet. Um, yes, literally. But I would, but still, it was just like, it's just money going down the drain. Um, and the more we got comfortable with remote learning, or not remote learning, remote working, the you got more kids, it okay. became more feasible. It's still not the ideal. Like I still 100% believe the best way for my team to operate would be to all sit in the same room, the camaraderie, the, you know, the water cooler conversations, the, the startup mentality, man, the first 30 minutes we talk about sports and then we deal with a customer together. We deal with a problem together. We all huddle around a computer and look at the code and figure out what the issue is. Like it's that kind of mentality. Um, but now that the business has grown and is still a startup mentality, I also have to think about like what's best for my family and lifestyle wise moving out there made the world of sense to us. Um, and so, yeah, it's a huge lifestyle change. It's moving to remote. So what ended up happening was because we were able to move remote, I was able to give my full-time people a raise because of the money that we're saving on rent. So I was able to kind of give them a raise. We're able to put that money to work in other areas. Um, and it's just going to, it also opened up what I discovered, a secondary effect that I hadn't really thought of, but then ended up making sense afterwards is I actually just gave them freedom. So both guys that, uh, both all three guys that work for me, all are renters in the GTA. Some One lives in Scarborough, one's in Whitby, and the other one's in Ajax. And so... As soon as I announced to them, all three of them said, oh, like this opens up for me and my spouse. Two of them are married. One is getting married this summer. We can now think outside the box on if 100%. we want to buy a home and where. So it actually, it opened up a ton of opportunity for them to say like, oh, I'm not now tied to where I am. I can now think. So one of my guys has explored like moving hours away from the city. Um, because now the opportunity is open to being like, instead of having to 
try to buy in this crazy housing market in the GTA. What if I went three hours north? What if I moved out of province? So I know him and his mm-hmm. wife are are discussing like, hey, maybe we should move out of province. Maybe we should move to Halifax. Like they're talking about it. So it actually opened up opportunities that build into the quality of life for my employees. Um, wow. And it actually doesn't affect the business at all because the more I thought about, it, the more I was actually still kind of operating under my original like do contract video business, which was an older mentality. But we are a we are an online company. Like we've mm-hmm. never physically interacted with more than a couple customers. Everything is online. Our entire existence is online. Yep. Half of our customers don't know that we're outside of the U.S. Um, so what does it matter if I'm in Nova Scotia? And so that's where with these six graphic designers that I hired, I was always only hiring people locally here and all six of them are now spread out. So the six designers I hired, um, one of them is in Australia. Um, one of them is in London, UK, and then Arizona, uh, Michigan, Maryland, and I'm forgetting what the last one is, but spread out around the world. Right. And so, that actually is going to make the company stronger by me kind of taking those chains off. It's now opened up opportunity for the business to get stronger where I was probably holding it back with this mentality that everyone has to be in the same room. So there's definitely some pros and cons, but one, it's going to save them the business some money Two, it released those chains of what I was holding the business back with hiring to now truly be like a global company where we can think outside the box. We're starting to talk about like, okay, what does it look like to offer 24 hour customer support? Okay, well, we have these connections Mm. now in Australia. Maybe we need to hire someone else in Australia to when we go offline at five or six, that person's coming online. We're now a global 24 hour company able to help anyone around the world. Cause we do have lots of customers in New Zealand and Australia, a few in the Philippines and Indonesia, um, one in Japan. And so we're able to now really think on a different scale than just like our little company in yeah. Bowmanville and our little office that spreads out. We're just kind of existing out in the world now. Um, and yeah, like that is huge. And so then, yeah, like, and part of this moving to Nova Scotia is we've been able to find a, ho- a house with a basement apartment that can then be my office. And so That's awesome. work, work-life balance is better. Financially, it makes sense for the company. It makes sense for all the employees. And we've built a system now where we are just constantly on messenger chat in the background with any questions, if they need to fire them at me, it's just up on a separate screen and we communicate all day long through that. And just we're firing files back and forth. We've come up with a whole system yeah. on how to share our files. Um, and yeah, it's working. We've, we've got, and the pandemic forced us to practice it three times where I was huh. kind of like beating my head against the wall. Yeah. And I finally, after the third time, just bought into it and just said, fine, I'm leaving. I'm gone. <laughs> like, but it's, so you're it thankful, actually, <laughs> so you're thankful yeah. for our politicians and the work, the great work that they've been doing to lock us yes. down. That's what, that's what I heard. The, the frustrations they have brought have forced us to adapt, which oh, yeah, is actually a good thing. So yeah, that's it's good. So the business is actually growing because of it. Like it's continued this uptick of growth that we've had. Um, and it just actually makes it like our growth was still going up into the right. I'm in reverse, but up into the right. <laughs> and then 
But what now, what we've done now is, despite the growth, we've actually cut expenses. So like expenses are tailing off. So yeah, that's it makes room for more profit, right? So, and with more profit means that then you can invest that money into more people, more content, more media. Because of the three of eight competitors that I told you about, I'm I don't know. It's really hard, but I'm like number five or six. I would say. Yeah. There are a few who I know are much bigger. Um, who have been around for 20 years, who have a staff, like one of the, those big competitors who we work with and we're actually really close with and, and we, sh- when we share our content on their site. They're a company of 10, 15, 20 people, right? Wow. Um, down in the States. So they are much bigger, but it allows us to start producing content on the same level because we're using the market advantages and saving money in all kinds of places to be able to invest back into the business. So exactly. Investing back in the business is, I think, like an accelerant. You're pouring gas on the fire because if you're doing something good that people are giving you money, you might as well, you know, pour more gas on it and make the fire bigger um, and multiply. Because if you, you do that's like simple math. You know, if I do this and I got this result. Well, let me do a whole bunch of this so I can get a bigger of this result on this side. And, um, and you know, go, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And because we're a membership model for every dollar that we invest, even if you don't make it back in the first month, it lives forever. Right. And so if I produce a too. piece of content today that goes on Visual Media Church, it spikes in its popularity, but then it just lives for like ever and it tails off, but we're talking five, 10 years. It can, it remains and it holds a certain percentage hmm. of value. So when you're dealing with a contract, you just, you get your hit, you get your money and you walk away and then you hope for a repeat and a repeat with this, you invest a dollar and you let it tail off and there's a la carte and membership value that has a tail life to it. So for every dollar you put in, it lives and pr- continues to produce dollars back for you over time, which is what is the mind blowing, which is the exponential growth that you're talking about. So content and value does not die the minute that you create it. It actually lives forever. Theoretically, obviously content right. 10 years from now is going to look terrible, but I'm noticing that content I made four years ago it still so makes money for me today, right? And so the value of it continues to grow over time. Um, and so that's where, yeah, investing dollars back into what is just a giant pool of assets that continually grows. The longer this company goes, the more value it has, the more our pricing has never increased. So the more we grow, the more valuable we become to our, our customers. So a new yeah. customer coming to us says, whoa, 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 you're at 45,000 pieces of content. Like that is nuts for only 200 bucks. And I get to download it all. Like, are you kidding me? Of It's, it's a no brainer. Right. And so yeah. that's. But in the start, when you're so small, it's really hard. But as you start growing, that's where, yes, investing time and money and dollars back into the content that you're providing for them, just your business becomes more valuable to the customer the longer you go. James, I've learned so much from this conversation, not just what you just said, but all throughout your business acumen has been you know, uh, on display right now. And I'm super uh, stoked that you are here today. Um, where can people find you? Where can people find uh, the uh, VMC and kind of get to know more about what you guys are doing there? Well, you can go visualmediachurch.com. You can find there. You're going to see my lovely face on the very top of the homepage when you load it up. Uh, So you'll see me there. You can always reach out there. We have a Facebook group. If you are a church creative, we have a Facebook group of, I think it's about to hit 42,000 people. 
Um, that has more than doubled in size in the past year. So you can join Church Creatives. Um, you can find that on our website too. There's links to it there. Join that Facebook group. It is killer. It's growing. It's got a lot of stuff going on there right now. People from around the world talking church media and just media and cameras and tech. Um, there, That's our group that we started just a couple of years ago. And it's huge. It's one of the biggest of its kind in the church media space. Um, and then you can find me on Instagram, either at Visual Media Church or just the letter J, J or sorry, actually it's James Alexander Adams on Instagram. Find me there. I'm, I'm super accessible. If you message me, I will message you back. I'm not shy. So, and I'm not that popular so that it's not like I'm getting millions of messages. So I got like 5,000 followers. So if you want to be one of them and message me, I'm there. We can chit chat. We can set up a convo, a zoom meeting, a virtual coffee. Cause I will be in Nova Scotia in a couple weeks. So yeah, I'm accessible. I'm there. Let's do it. Awesome. This has been the more life podcast. I'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace out guys. <laughs>